Well, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of Hacker Public Radio. My name is John Duarte, and uh, I will be talking about uh, creating your own personal VPN. So I'm a first-time contributor to Hacker Public Radio, and I'm excited to, to talk about this subject with you. There is a wonderful existing Hacker Public Radio episode that goes through uh, the details of uh, OpenVPN and all of its uh, various settings. Uh, I would reference you to HPR episode 297, uh, which does a fantastic job of doing that. Uh, but I noticed on the Hacker Public Radio website that there's still some demand for creating your own personal uh, VPN server. A couple of different reasons for wanting to have one of these. So the classic example uh, that is often cited for using a VPN for personal use is for information security when you're on public networks. You know, for example, when you're in your local coffee shop and you don't want someone to be sniffing the, the traffic that uh, is going through the air, even if you are mostly going through HTTPS serv services, um, there can be unencrypted traffic that you would rather not be exposed. So having your own VPN allows you to tunnel that traffic and make sure that that information is secure. It is also uh, provides security when you're staying in hotels uh, to make sure that uh, the traffic that is either going through Wi-Fi over your hotel or if you have a wireless connection, there's really no good way to know what's being done with that uh, information if it isn't uh, securely encrypted on route. And although a, a, a personal VPN can provide security in, in both of those contexts and any other public um, network context, uh, there's another benefit of having your own VPN that I actually find more compelling. Uh, and that, that gives you the ability to publish your own personal web services and personal network services. You know, given the fact in the last year that we've all been living with the Snowden revelations and we know that we live in a world where every bit of your data is being captured and um, and analyzed for a variety of reasons. But it would be nice to, to be able to publish your own services without being on the public internet at large. And your own personal VPN service allows you to do this. Um, so, yeah, there are, there are certainly public services that you might want to create uh, if you wanted to set up your own uh, virtual private server and, and manage that on the public internet. And there are perfectly legitimate uses for that, such as things that you want the world at large to have access to, such as blogs that you want to publish or if you want to set up your own status net server. But I think there are also services that you may want to publish in a private context. So for myself or for my family or a small group of friends with a VPN, your own personal VPN server, uh, you can publish these in a variety of contexts and just share them out to the people that you're interested in. So I personally do this for myself with a variety of service services, uh, an asterisk uh, telephony server that then allows uh, all of the, the devices on my VPN uh, to have their own extension number. Uh, so using uh, something like Linphone for, uh, as a SIP client uh, that, uh, and an address book, book that's deployed uh, throughout the network that anybody can contact anybody else on the network with just a, a short extension number. 
I also have a Mumble server that allows uh, us to have um, chat rooms for um, people on the on the network. You know, I can get together with a uh, you know another person in my family and have a have a conversation, and then that's open for anybody else to join in. Uh, I also do a, a Jabber server. Do you can use a, a off the record uh, encryption uh, when you're using uh, IM software. Um, there, you know, you there are instances where you can't do that. So Gmail doesn't offer that. And there are certainly Jabber service services where you can do uh, off the record. But I just find it pretty convenient to have my own uh, Jabber network where. Uh, you know, I can reach out to um, uh, you know one of my children and, and make sure that all the conversation is uh, is encrypted, irregardless as as to whether they remember to uh, to turn the uh, the off the record encryption on. And then there are more just fun things. So I want access to my to my media library to be able to play my own music. I don't subscribe to ser uh, online services such as iTunes and and those sorts of things. Um, I tried Pandora for a while, but uh, I mostly wound up listening to music that I, or, that I already owned anyway, so it just made sense that, uh, that I would just publish that, that, uh, that audio to myself uh, and consume it uh, as I see fit. So these are the types of things that you can do with, uh, with your own OpenVPN. I wanted to take uh, a little bit of time and sort of walk you through the process. You know, I know that OpenVPN uh, has kind of a, a reputation for being fairly complex to set up and it's, it really is not all that difficult. So there's a, you know a couple of interesting facets of it uh, that you know you just have to know how to deal with uh, with the, the keys and and uh, be able to wrangle some of the files into place but uh, when you boil it down to just a setting up a simple OpenVPN service it is not really all that difficult. So my primary environment uh, that I have the server set up on is a Debian-based environment, and as I walk through the instructions, uh, these these have been uh, exercised on a Debian system. Uh, I will also be giving additional instructions for if you have a, a RHEL-based uh, system. Um, these have been tried on CentOS 6, but just uh, in a sort of proof-of-concept way. I haven't really exercise the, the VPN too much on, a, on the CentOS 6 side. Uh, the clients, you know, as you expand, expand your network to include family members that may not be running uh, Linux, they may be running macOS or they may be running Windows, uh, OpenVPN has clients for all of these and they will easily uh, be able to dovetail into uh, your working uh, Linux OpenVPN server. So on Debian, the uh, for Debian 7, the uh, command to install OpenVPN is just the standard apt-get install OpenVPN. If you're running on a RHEL-based system, uh, for CentOS 6, OpenVPN is not available in the standard uh, repositories, so you're going to need to add um, the EPL for uh, the Fedora project uh, in there, and then uh, you can do a yum install OpenVPN. Uh, after that, and I'll include uh, details to that um, to I'm sorry to that uh, R, uh, RPM location in the show notes. So once OpenVPN is installed, uh, it's going to install obviously the um, a variety of directories and and files, and of course 
uh, most of these are going to you're going to want to be working with are in the Etsy directory. So the core of this is going to be an Etsy OpenVPN, and then the tooling uh, that's going to be used to uh, create the keys and manage them comes as a package uh, within the OpenVPN on on both Debian and CentOS uh, called Easy-RSA. And these are a set of uh, helper utilities that just allow you to uh, create the, the keys, uh, manage the keys, you can revoke the keys, and, uh, and deal with them that way. So once you have OpenVPN installed, you can go ahead and take the, the example EZRSA 2.0 uh, utilities and copy them into your OpenVPN directory uh, under an EZ-RSA subdirectory. So on Debian, the, um, these files reside in users slash share slash doc slash openvpn slash examples slash easy dash RSA slash 2.0. And on CentOS, they will reside in users slash share slash openvpn slash easy dash RSA slash 2.0. So again, you copy that. All the contents of, of that directory into an easy-rsa directory in Etsy OpenVPN. And then for convenience, we'll assume that you cd into that directory. First thing you're going to want to do is set up your the environmental variables that are prudent to your installation. So there's a file called vars, V-A-R-S, that contains uh, all of the envir environmental variables that will be used by the easy-rsa utilities. So if you go and edit that in, your, in the editor of your choice, um, you'll go ahead and set your country, your state or province, your city, your organization, your email, your CN, your name, your OU. So once you've set those to your liking for the values that make sense to you, uh, then you can go ahead and save that file, and then you'll want to source that file either with source space dot slash VARS or dot space dot slash VARS. So this will then export those environmental variables into uh, the, envir the shell environment that you're in and those will be available to the various um, scripting utilities for EZRSA uh, as you execute them. So the first thing that shows up when I do that on my system is that it lets me know that if I execute a clean all that it is going to vaporize all keys. And since we're starting out with a brand new installation, that's exactly what we want to do. So we go ahead and execute dot slash clean all, and then that will respond with nothing. That will make sure that all any existing keys, of which there were none, but if you've been playing around before, you can easily just wipe out all of the keys that way. Uh, the next command we're going to execute is build dash ca. So you'll uh, execute dot slash build dash CA uh, and that will go ahead and create the uh, certificate authority private key so that will write um, a CA.key file uh, and you'll be asked to enter any information that wasn't uh, supplied in the environmental vari variables if you didn't fill that out so that's going to go ahead and confirm um, the various stuff uh, for for the certificate authority. So if you've ever created a key for uh, an SSL key um, for a web server, these will look familiar. So you're just going to, uh, all of those previous environmental variables that I enumerated before, you'll be asked to confirm those or change those to 
values that, that are more applicable to, to the CA key that you're creating. The next command is uh, dot slash build dash dh uh, and that will create a, a Diffie-Hellman key that depending on the hardware that you're using will take quite a long time. So it will turn, turn away uh, and create that key. Once that's done then you can create a key server. Uh, so you will execute the command dot slash build dash key dash server and the name of the server. Once that is executed, so that'll generate the private key for the server and it'll write that to um, a, a file that is named the name of the server dot key. The server key also has extra attributes that will be sent so you can add a challenge password um, since we are creating a server key the most convenient way is to not add a challenge password that way there there won't be an interactive handshake uh, for there you'll just exchange the two keys and that will do the authentication and then that will use uh, OpenSSL to check that the request matches the signature and then it will uh, echo out the environmental variables uh, that are associated with the key. It will ask you if you would like to sign that key uh, after it has printed out all of the values there. I believe the um, default lifetime of that key is 10 years. So you can answer yes to signing the certificate. You'll be asked to confirm whether you want to commit that to the database and you'll answer yes and then that will add that key to the database. So once the server key is created then you can build a couple, uh, any number of client keys. So the previous one, previous command was build-key-server and now we're just going to build key. So this command is dot slash build-key and then the name of the, cl of the client uh, that you would like to build the key for. So these can either be human names or machine names or just generic names, uh, client 01, client 02, and then you'll have to remember who they get issued to. But whatever schema works for you, uh, you can just create a couple of client keys uh, to try it with your clients. So this would be a similar process. Once you execute that command, it'll generate an RSA private key. It will write that uh, key to the keys folder and then you'll be asked to confirm again information about that client uh, before it writes out the public key. Again, if you, you can add a challenge password if you so choose. Uh, I would not recommend that. Uh, and then at the end of the, uh, once the key is gener generated, you can sign it and then confirm that it should be added to the database. And then the client key will be added to the database as well. So now that you have your server key and a couple of client keys, one or more client keys, um, you're ready to set up the server itself. You can grab uh, an example configuration uh, out of the, the docs for the OpenVPN package that came with either Debian or CentOS, uh, but I'll give you a, a very terse server configuration setup. This file will be saved in Etsy slash openvpn slash server dot conf and I'll walk you through each one of these. Uh, 
settings. The first setting is the port number uh, that uh, will be used to access the VPN server. The second setting is the protocol. This is proto uh, space UDP. Next is the device uh, that should be used. So in order to make this compatible across all types of systems, we use the tunnel device. This is DEV space TUN. Next four parameters will be the keys for uh, kicking off the server. So the first is the CA. So that parameter is CA space and then the path to the CA.CRT that was created during uh, our key creation phase. So in this case that is slash Etsy slash OpenVPN slash easy dash RSA slash keys slash CA dot CRT. So I'll read through the rest of these uh, key parameters and all of them are, are prefixed uh, and reside in the same keys directory. So the next one is the cert, uh, the server certificate. Uh, so that parameter is CERT space followed by the path to uh, the server.crt file. Uh, next is the key, the private key, KEY space, uh, and then the path to server.key, or the name of it in, in both of these cases for the cert and the key, server should be replaced by whatever you called your server when you created the server key. Fourth key parameter is the Diffie-Hellman, so that's DH space, and then the path to the DH file uh, in your keys folder. So in my case, I created a 2048-bit Diffie-Hellman key. So that file is dh2048.pem. So next we'll identify the IP range uh, for, the, uh, for the server, or the IP space, uh, and netmask. This parameter is server space 10.10.42.0. Uh, and then the appropriate netmask for that. If config dash pool dash persist uh, space ipp.txt. So this is a file in the uh, etsy slash openvpn directory. is to maintain a record of client virtual IP addresses. If openvpn goes down or is restarted, reconnecting clients can be assigned the same virtual IPs from the pool that was previously assigned. Format of this file is the uh, name of the client key, followed by a comma, followed by the desired IP address for the VPN network. So the next parameter is client-config-dir space ccd. Uh, and that allows you to uh, create files in a ccd directory that then articulate the mapping for the uh, IPs that you should get. So the combination of those two uh, allow you to push out a specific IP address and a specific route uh, for your network to any particular client. The next parameter is route. Um, again, just with the uh, network IP uh, space and the appropriate netmask for that space. The uh, next parameter is client to client. Client to client allows uh, all the clients to see each other on the network. So without uh, that particular directive, 
the clients could only see the um, the OpenVPN server. So this is a security. Uh, you want to you know take in mind what what your particular infrastructure is and the security that you want to have around that as to whether your OpenVPN server lives on a device that contains everything that you want to have accessed or if you want uh, clients to be able to, to see each other and to be able to access uh, each other uh, for services that you want to publish. The next parameter is keep alive space 10 space 120 uh, causes ping-like messages to be sent back and forth over the link so that each side knows when the other side has gone down. So the 10120 pings every 10 seconds and assumes that the remote peer is down if no ping is received during a 120 second time period. The next parameter is cipher space AES-256 dash CBC, which the, is the AES encryption cipher suite, uh, which is what we'll be using to encrypt the traffic. Uh, the next parameter is comp-lzo, enables compression on the VPN link. And then we have user and group uh, that the service should be running as. So user space nobody and group space no group, uh, and adjust those accordingly for your system, uh, depending on who the non-privileged user and group are on uh, for your particular infrastructure. Next there's the persist-key and the persist-ton. We'll try and avoid accessing certain resources on restart that may no longer be accessible because of privilege downgrade. The next parameter is status, uh, which is where we will log the clients that are logged in, uh, so we can quickly see who is actually accessing the VPN. So that is, uh, in my case, uh, status space openvpn-status.log. And then the final parameter is uh, the verbosity of that log. So that is verb, V-E-R-B, space three. So once you have that configuration file uh, written out and saved, uh, then you can simply restart the VPN service. To start out with, uh, I would recommend doing this manually because if there are any errors uh, in the process of starting up the, uh, the VPN service, it will be a lot easier to see uh, if you're just uh, executing the command directly uh, and then you, they, those will uh, echo out to um, your terminal. You can, so if that fails to start, go ahead and do the service restart and uh, then do a, an, uh, an IF config, and you should see a TUN device uh, that has the IP address that you had specified for the server. If you don't see that, that means that the OpenVPN failed to start up. And then you can take a look at what the actual errors are by executing it manually with the command openvpn space server.conf or the path to the server.conf file. So that, that will spool out uh, meaningful errors. Actually, I found the openvpn errors to be, to be quite specific uh, and they should allow you to troubleshoot 
fairly quickly what the misconfiguration in your uh, server configuration file is. So once uh, that has uh, been corrected, you can kill the server and then use uh, the service uh, command to restart that. So at that point in time, you have a functioning OpenVPN uh, server. So we'll move on to the client side now. To install OpenVPN on the client, you will do this, you know, if you're running on a Linux system, you would use the same commands as you did for installing uh, the server. It's the same package. The, the only thing that differs between a server and a client installation is the config file. So where we started out by saying uh, server, declaring the server, and IP in the server file will uh, actually be declaring a client when we set up the client uh, configuration file. For uh, Windows, uh, there is an, uh, the op OpenVPN installer is available from the OpenVPN community download section, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So a special caveat for Windows, uh, the user account control UAC must be turned off in order to allow the OpenVPN to execute the necessary network commands to bring up the VPN. So under Windows 7, uh, that's under the uh, start menu, uh, you go to the control panel, and then there's a section called User Accounts and Family Safety. Then you go to User Accounts and then change User Account Control Settings and set that to Never Notify. You click OK on that and reboot the machine uh, and then you can go ahead with the OpenVPN installation. On Linux, the configuration is going to go in the exact same location. It's going to be an Etsy uh, OpenVPN. On Windows, um, I'll leave that up to your explicit uh, investigations, but uh, for the Windows 7 system that I was testing on, uh, it was under uh, C colon backslash program files paren x86 slash openvpn slash or backslash uh, config. Uh, and on Windows, uh, the config file has to have a dot OVPN suffix, and then that is how Windows discerns what the OpenVPN configuration is. So I'll walk through the configuration parameters on for the client. The first one is client, which simply says that we have a client configuration. So most of these will be very similar to what we saw before in the server configuration. Uh, the next one is the device. We will, again, these have to match the server. So this is DEV space TUN to use the tunnel device. The next one is the protocol. We'll use uh, proto space UDP for, uh, to match the server. Uh, the next parameter is remote, uh, where we tell it the server and the IP, or I'm sorry, the port number that uh, we use to connect to the VPN server. In my case, that's uh, remote space myvpn.example.org space 1194. Uh, the next parameter is re the is resolve dash retry. That's R E S O L V dash R E T R Y space and the word infinite, uh, which says never stop trying to connect. Uh, the next parameter is no bind, N O B I N D. Uh, the next two are the user and group uh, that 
should be used for the non-privileged uh, user to run the the client service um, on Windows. Uh, these aren't used, so you can still have them in there, and they won't have any negative impact on the Windows client. So in my case, that's uh, user space nobody and group space no group. So again, we're going to uh, for the next two, we're going to mirror the server. So the next two are persist dash key and persist dash ton, uh, and then we get to the keys. So the CA will be the same. So this is CA space, um, and then the path to uh, the CA.CRT file on the client. Uh, this will be copied from the server. On Windows, the, the format for the path is uh, a, back, a double black backslash, nah, I'm sorry, a double backslash notation uh, in quotation marks. So on my Windows test system, uh, that looks like CA space double quote C colon backslash backslash program files paren x86 backslash backslash openvpn backslash backslash config backslash backslash CA dot CRT double quotations. And that will give the full path name uh, for Windows to find the CA file. Depending on the Windows version, you may need to change the uh, suffix of the CA, the CA file from uh, CRT to CER. This has not been consistent for me, but on, on, a, on one of the test systems that I was using, if it didn't have the CER suffix, then Windows uh, complain that it could not find the file because it didn't interpret it to be a certificate file. But uh, in case that happens to you, you can check the, the logs on your Windows system. There is a log direc directory directly under the OpenVPN uh, directory in the installation path. Uh, so on my system that was program files uh, paren x86 backslash OpenVPN backslash log. All right, so that was a long-winded uh, explanation of the CA on the client. Uh, so next we need the certificate and the key for the client that is, that is using these. So those can go uh, into the keys folder uh, on your system. Uh, that is the, the you know, client01.crt for the cert and client01.key for the key. Then the next parameter is ns-cert-type, and the value is server, so space server. And then the cipher is going to match the one that we had on the server. So that one is cipher space aes-256-cbc. Then the next param parameter is uh, comp-lzo, with no value. Uh, and then the last one is uh, verb-3 for the level 3 verbosity. All right, so with that configuration file in place, um, as you saw, we referenced two, or I'm sorry, three key files that need to be copied over from the server and put on the client. So whatever method makes sense for you to deploy those to your client, you will take the 
uh, ca.crt file, uh, which is associated with the, the server CA, that will be used on all clients. And then specifically for the one client that you are installing, you will want the client name.crt and the client name.key file that were generated when you created the key pair for that client. Uh, and you will copy those into the locations that you specified in the configuration file. On my clients, I go ahead and I add a, a resolution to the hostname VPN uh, into my host file. So I simply uh, you know, add the IP address of my VPN server um, and the hostname VPN uh, into the host file on whatever client I'm using. Uh, that way it becomes easy to you know, ping the VPN without having to remember uh, what it's called. So the next step in the process is to set up for the static IP addresses. So I talked a little bit before about the IPP and the CCD. Um, so we create the CCD file or uh, directory in Etsy open VPN slash CCD. Uh, and for each device, uh, we add a file with the CN name of the key and in that file, we indicate the static address to be used and the server IP. Uh, for Linux, the server IP will be the VPN address of your VPN server. On Windows, the VPN client will set up a local TAP interface that must be used as, as the server IP. So there's more information about um, sort of that interesting arrangement on the window side where it has this layer of indirection and creates a local tap interface that the ton actually connects to. Um, there's lots lots of interesting documentation on the OpenVPN website. One of the side effects of that is that you can't just assign any old IP address on the Windows side. So I will have a link in the show notes to that particular set of documentation and it actually articulates uh, for any IP space what the allowable um, IP addresses are that you can that you can assign to it because it needs one it's sort of behind the scenes assigns one to the tap interface uh, and then you have access to a different one um, for the tunnel so you have to push uh, to two different addresses uh, if you're uh, using a Windows client. So I'll have some a couple examples of those uh, in the show notes. Uh, once that's set up, you are ready to go. So that is how you set up a uh, an OpenVPN server for your own personal use using machines that are completely under your control. The only other thing that you need to do is to allow um, public access to the um, the port that you set up for your server. So you can do that via um, dynamic DNS uh, and just open up that port on your router uh, and have your router point to the device that is running your OpenVPN server um, and then you are all set. So external client, you know, uh, clients external to your physical premises can then uh, access that. Uh, Dynamic DNS will take care of refreshing uh, the IP address and nobody knows anything different. So I have this working out well for parts, uh, you know, 
people in my family. Uh, I use it to um, communicate with my father. So we chat over Mumble every week, and, and I use it to have Jabber IM conversations with my daughter, who lives across the country uh, from me, and, and all works out really very well. So I will uh, try and add additional shows that sort of articulate how to publish these uh, services that you can then use uh, in the context of your new OpenVPN. Uh, but I hope that this, uh, this was helpful and informative and inspires you to create your own OpenVPN and start publishing your own private servers and, if nothing else, uh, gives you a wrapper of security for when you're hanging out at your local coffee shop. So thank you very much. Please contribute to Hacker Public Radio, and uh, take care. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.